1: A note of warning, this podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing.
2: Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you high profile and under the radar cases from across the country for the week of August 15th, 2019. This week, we've got kids in hot cars, domestic violence deaths, testing bird poop for cocaine, cat high on meth and much more. Our own Billy Jensen is out of town on a book tour this week, but he joins us on the phone. Hello, Billy. Hello. There he is. Hi, how are you doing? Today we have a special guest. We have clinical and forensic psychologist, Dr. Judy Ho. She's a tenured professor at Pepperdine University, and you may have seen her on various uh, TV shows on your television. Uh, And she has a new book coming out. Welcome.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Owen. Hi, Billy. Hi,
1: Judy. How are you doing? Good to speak to you again.
3: Good. Yes. Nice to speak with you again, too.
2: So, uh, first of all, Bill, you're in uh, Portland, Oregon, is that right?
1: I am in Portland, Oregon, Beaverton, Oregon,
2: actually. In Beaverton, gotcha. Well, hello, and uh, good luck uh, on your your book tour as as this progresses. Uh, Dr. Judy... Would you tell us a little bit about what you specialize in and uh, kind of your field of expertise?
3: Absolutely. I am a board certified clinical and forensic neuropsychologist. And so even though that's a very long title, basically my day to day in my private practice consists of seeing various types of individuals with pretty severe mental illnesses and sometimes co-occurring substance abuse problems and various types of personality disorders. Mm -hmm. And so this really applies in the area of forensic work because I often times will be retained as an expert in criminal or civil cases Mm -hmm. to opine about the cognitive and psychological functioning of various individuals that are involved in these cases. And when I am called upon in a criminal case, it's usually to evaluate the mental state of the alleged criminal Mm -hmm. and what was the mental state at the time of the offense do they know right from wrong can they actually assist their attorney in terms of putting together a defense for themselves and can they be rehabilitated even though nobody can answer that question 100 percent, like what is the sort of roadmap for this person Mm -hmm. if they were to go to treatment could they actually recidivate could they be functioning Mm -hmm. members of society
2: do you think that uh, are you finding there's more uh uh applicability in the field these days than it was maybe 20 years ago as far as uh, is it more in the forefront of, of prosecutors and or defense uh, than it was or has it always been sort of the same?
3: No, I feel like it's growing. I feel like now there's more of sort of an awareness that there's this psychological component mm-hmm. to address in these cases and sometimes it's not just as simple as sentencing the person. Right, and also so. even if you're going to sentence them that you have to consider their mental state and mm-hmm. can they even understand that? Could they even receive psychological services and get better?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, good. You're in uh, good company here, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, some of the, a lot of the stuff that we we cover here uh tell us about what your uh, current projects are right now what are you doing
3: So I'm a co-host on Face the Truth, and it's a daytime conflict resolution show. Our host is Vivica Fox, Mm -hmm. and I, along with Mary Janowski, who is a retired judge, Ariva Martin, who is an attorney and advocate, and Rosie Mercado, who is a life coach. We solve the client's problems when they come on the show, and could be anything from family conflict to substance abuse to various types of mental health issues. Um, I also have written a book, and so we were just chatting a little bit about that earlier, Mm -hmm. but my book is called Stop Self-Sabotage. It's published by HarperCollins, and it's actually dropping on August 20th. and um, It's the, next
2: week, right? Yeah, yeah, it's next Congratulations. week.
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, it's really been um, a, a labor of love for me. I'm really happy and proud of the book, because I, I feel like it's a book that really applies to a lot of people, because the idea of self-sabotage, everybody's utilized it in terms of their vocabulary or heard somebody else say it, and I believe that the best of us will do it sometimes, because the roots of self-sabotage are biologically instilled, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, when we think about our drives as human beings. We have a drive to attain rewards and we have a drive to avoid threat. That's what contributes to our individual survival and our survival as a species. And self-sabotage occurs when you sort of prioritize avoiding threat so much more than attaining rewards. And these days, threat is not really saber-toothed tigers. Threat is, what if I get rejected? What if I don't get the job? What if I move to someplace new and nobody likes me? And so emotional threat to our minds and bodies feel the same as physical threat. So it can still basically instigate that fight or flight response and mm-hmm. make us do things that seem irrational.
2: So like a conflict avoidance and uh, things like that. To, um, yeah.
1: It, the the good news is that yeah. that doesn't apply to Owen at all.
2: Though, so. <laughs> I'm actually looking at some of the uh, the lists on here and I'm glad she's here because uh, I'd like to get some free advice after the show here because I think I check <laughs> off every one of these things here. So we will definitely throw up a link to the Thank book. You. and you. Can pr- uh, order that in our, uh, if you go to our YouTube page, if you're not watching online, um. So yeah, welcome, and uh, let's get into some true crime this week.
3: Let's do and, it and
2: uh, and chat about. Uh, maybe we'll have some motivational uh, ideas here as well. Wonderful, uh, Billy. How you doing over there?
1: I'm doing good. Why don't you Why don't you start first, and then I'll then I'll go.
2: Okay. Well, this story. Uh, you know, you spent some time in Kansas. I know in your uh, in your later formative years. Uh, this story is out of Kansas City. This is uh, Sylvia Pearson and her husband Charles Pearson. Sylvia Pearson was 49 years old. Her body was found uh, Tuesday night this week on August 13th. She was missing since Monday. Uh, she'd last been seen leaving her own house in Overland Park, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Um, We've got uh, got a map here. If we kind of look there, Overland Park, and then there's Lenexa. This is a uh, sort of south of uh, south suburbs of Kansas City. There. Uh, yeah,
1: and and actually a very nice area too. And a nice mall there, mm-hmm. that's where uh, my wife got her uh, wedding gown at the mall.
2: Oh the mall wow, mall. that's nice. There you go. I wish you you know you had a picture place. of that. Um, <laughs> well, so as I say, uh, her body was found Tuesday night. Unfortunately, uh, earlier Tuesday, Charles Pearson. 51 years old. That's her estranged husband. He lives in Lenexa, Kansas, also part of the Kansas suburb, suburbs, mm-hmm. which is about, uh, it's not too far away from Overland Park, just southwest. Uh, no, it's, I mean, right, it's right next to it. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh, so he lives in Lenexa. He walked into a country inn and suites hotel next to an outlet mall in, uh, on the west side of Kansas City uh, Tuesday. He told the general manager, he says, I killed my wife. He told the general manager that he's armed and he was on his way to Legends Outlets, Kansas City, which is this outlet, do- uh, outlet uh, mall right next door. It's about blocks away. Kansas City police uh, were called. They caught up to him at the, a nearby intersection on his way over there. He reportedly, uh, Charles Pearson reportedly, fired several shots at officers. Of course, they returned fire and they killed him. Police say that he was carrying a rifle. Uh, there does seem to be a little bit of a, um, for lack of a better phrase, the, the term "suicide by cop," which is sort of uh, some people uh, have this idea that that's how they're right. going to go out. Right. Um, so a day earlier, uh, on Monday, family was unable to contact uh, Sylvia. They reported her missing Monday night, and uh, police were searching all over the area. Her last cell phone activity was just southeast of Kansas City, uh, and of course they. Uh, they talked to Charles Pearson that night during their investigation, he was a, uh, an Iraq war veteran. Mm. He was a, a, a 21 year old or excuse me, a 21 year veteran army ranger. He had uh, served two combat tours in Iraq. Uh, that was uh, Monday night. He told deputies he didn't know where uh, Sylvia was. He was cooperative with police and uh, deputies. He allowed deputies to search his home and his car. Uh, But police said they didn't have any reason to hold him. They didn't have any evidence to detain him. Hmm. So uh, the next morning, Pearson, uh, Charles Pearson, he called family and friends and said that he was suicidal uh, and that he was uh, that he had harmed Sylvia. So apparently that, you know, there may have been some some guilt going on. There Mm -hmm. may have been uh, uh, some sort of remorse happening here. But it was within 12 hours of police visiting him. And then later that morning, he went to the to the outlet mall in Kansas City. Um, after he was killed, police searched his house. They found a handwritten note that was left for investigators. Uh, it showed where Sylvia's body was, included a diagram. So they searched uh, Whitney Mountain Lodge, which is uh, on Beaver Lake in Benton County, Arkansas. It's a resort hotel about uh, 200 miles south of there. That's where they found her. We don't have much information on the, on how she was killed or uh, mm-hmm. what the conditions are or anything like that. Um, uh, as I said, they, they're they're considering this, uh, they're classifying this as a homicide, but uh, we don't have too many other details on that. They did say that no other suspects are are being sought and that the FBI was part
1: of it. Um, and again, you know, this comes at, at, at a time when, obviously, we're seeing so many mass shootings. This is going to be a mass shooting. And, and even though you see—and we saw this with Adam Lanza, after Adam Lanza, right before Sandy Hook, he kills his mother, and mm-hmm. then he goes. So you, you see this in some mass shootings where they kill a loved one, and then they're going to go out and just try to take as many people as possible before they they, they kill themselves. And, you know, the police in Lenexa have been— Responded four times to calls involving a couple. Uh, Pearson was charged with criminal damage to property and spent one night in jail last October. Uh, they responded to two disturbances in January and one civil matter in February. His wife suspected that Pearson had PTSD, but Pearson wouldn't get therapy, so that's why she left. And she said that uh, she 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 was we find him kind of lurking around. And you know, sadly, a friend said that Sylvia's son was killed in a shooting in 2007. That's tragic.
2: Uh, and yeah, the couple used to live in Arkansas. Um, Dr. Judy, I, I imagine that, uh, PTSD comes up, uh, fairly regularly in your practice. Yes. Um, but obviously the large majority or the overwhelming majority of people don't go on to commit crimes and that kind of thing. But, um, is there any special, uh, is anything jumps out at you about this particular
3: well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So just as you said, Owen, you know, people with PTSD, they oftentimes don't get violent, but uh, there is an extension of anger and rage as a potential symptom of PTSD for some individuals. And it can come from a variety of places. But one symptom of PTSD is that these individuals are hyper aroused or sort of in the state of hyper arousal because they never know where danger is lurking. Mm-hmm. So they do sometimes look at a person and Basically, we'll say this person is looking at me the wrong way or they're trying to hurt me and then they will act out in self-defense. Perceiving threats. Right. Perceiving threats when maybe the threat's not there or at least the stimuli was actually kind of ambiguous. Not sure what this person really meant. And and yet most of these individuals don't, of course, then go on to kill somebody. So I think in this case, unless he really felt like his wife was a threat, that wouldn't necessarily apply. And it makes me wonder if there were other things that we haven't seen yet that hasn't come out um, in the media about exactly what his background is, because sometimes these individuals will have antisocial traits. Mm -hmm. And when we look at somebody who has antisocial personality traits, that's somebody who might be more callous, who might not value a human life, who might see other human beings as a means to an end. And those types of things and sort of the lack of remorse that comes with all of that is probably what makes something like this more possible.
2: Uh, indeed. I was uh, struck actually that uh, this man's 51 and right. usually uh, not to put t- too much of a generalization on it, but a lot of these stories you hear, uh, especially with veterans and things like that, it's generally generational uh, of, you know, somebody who might be in their late 30s at this point uh, with the for, with the Iraq war in the early 2000s and, and Afghanistan, et cetera. Um, and this guy's been in the military for 21 years. Like we say, it's unclear if he was going to. We don't know what he, you know, he went to the mall with a gun mm-hmm. or went to the outlet with a, with a gun. It's pure speculation. Billy, you're thinking that it was a, a, a possible thinking, yeah. mass shooting. I'm thinking yeah. it's more like I, I'm trying to provoke the cops into killing because, you know, I've I've already talked to my my relatives this morning. I've I've told mm-hmm. them that I've hurt my wife. Um there's no way to know, obviously, but, uh, psychologically, I would just wonder whether that's more of a, I can't do it myself, but mm-hmm. this is the surest way to, to get it done or whether he was going to go make a, a bunch of people suffer. But, uh, yeah. yes, I'm sure that we will hear more, uh, information about this. It is tragic. As we say, the, uh, the, the woman, Sylvia's son was killed, uh, in a, sh- in an unrelated shooting, mm. uh, two, two and a half years ago. Um, it's just, uh, it's tragic, uh, as we say. They used to live in Arkansas. This ended up uh, in yeah. Kansas, and he brought her to this place in Arkansas, which also makes me think there's a little bit of sentimentality there, especially mm-hmm. this particular resort. So, uh, we'll bring you more information on that on TrueCrimeDaily.com when we uh, know more information about that. But uh, yeah. uh, it's, a, so, it's a
1: tragic thing. So we're going to stick. We're going to stay in Kansas, but move west to Wichita.
2: This means. week,
1: prosecutors filed a second-degree murder charge against a boy who was 14 when he shot his mother last year. Attorney the boy was uh, defending himself, and that his 12-year-old brother and his 12-year-old brother from a drunken attack by his 41-year-old mother, whose name was Lisa Trimble, this was on June 20th, 2018. And initially, the boy was charged with voluntary manslaughter. On Tuesday, the Central County District Attorney's Office filed a murder charge in the complaint that the boy unlawfully and intentionally killed Trimble. The DA's office did not immediately comment on, on, um, a charge on the change of the criminal complaint. And the boy's father and at least two lawyers were with the boy in court on Tuesday, his first appearance. The dad and mom were married but were divorcing and lived separately when she died. And the Wichita Eagle reports that the boys were not living with the mom, and it was during a court-ordered visitation. It was the mom's gun. The lawyers say the 12-year-old brother was being physically attacked by the mom and the 14-year-old boy stepped in, a single shot to the neck, it severed her spine, and the 14-year-old called 911. There was nobody else home. And uh, this is in, ju- in juvenile court, the same penalty for murder and manslaughter, incarceration up to 22 and a half years. And the autopsy found that the uh, blood alcohol level in the mother was point one eight five which is double the legal limit for drinking. That's pretty drunk. And autopsy also found scarring of the liver from alcohol. And the Wichita Eagle described their house as a sprawling mansion in the Andover area east of Wichita. But they're going to have to wait a while to figure out um, what's going to happen with it because the next court date is in January.
2: Have you dealt with uh, many juvenile situations? Uh, I, don't want, I don't want to tell too many tales outside of court, but... Uh, right. uh, uh, something this violent or this uh, this uh, confrontational with the with a, a teen?
3: Certainly, violence that is sort of indicative of a pattern. So you very rarely, for example, see that the first bout of violence is that they actually end up killing a family member. I see more often that when it has progressed to that point where there's some kind of attempted murder charge or some kind of aggravated assault charge, that there have been signs mm-hmm. earlier in that individual's life and sometimes it's because the family has tried to protect that individual so they haven't told law enforcement or they haven't taken this person to a therapist to check out if there's anything going on there and then eventually it just kind of continues to progress and so here, I would just wonder, you know, if this is really a case of I was just defending myself and my brother and I just shot my mom dead. Or if this is more indicative of somebody who's actually shown propensity for violence and perhaps they had a very conflictual relationship and it ultimately escalated to this.
2: Uh, yeah, I agree. And Billy, I'm sure you talked to this as well as far as. Um... You've got things like what if a kid's starting fires or, right. uh, or like abusing animals or or getting into fights, even things like that uh, can be sort of yeah. markers that maybe don't quite reach the level of either they get a, you know, a, a sort of slap on the wrist or a, or a ticket or the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the family takes care of it. That could be you're also talking about uh, uh, by these news accounts, this woman was a uh, an alcoholic mm-hmm. uh, functioning or whatever, but uh, that's pretty drunk. Uh, not making a value judgment here, but 0. 0.185 is, is uh, very intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Um, you're home along with your two young boys or your teen boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you've got scarring on your liver, which indicates that uh, she's pretty active on that. So that's also, A, you got some behavioral problems on her part, but then, mm-hmm. as we know, uh, children of alcoholics, whether they are afflicted or have started using or whatever else, have, what... What do I want to say? Propensity of Mm -hmm. uh, a slightly higher chance of going down that sort of path, a substance abuse, things like that.
3: Absolutely, yeah. There's actually a, a pretty high chance, you know, alcohol use disorder. And any other kind of substance use disorder, family history is a very important piece of that Mm -hmm. because there's some indications that there are actually biological propensities for this person to become addicted and to utilize the same types of coping mechanisms that their parents have. And so it becomes sort of a generational problem, not to mention if the mother has an active alcohol use disorder, which by all appearances, it seems that she did, then she's not really demonstrating good coping strategies to her children. And perhaps in her um, states of intoxication, she may have acted violently or aggressively towards her children. And they're sort of learning and picking that up. And it becomes sort of this kind of back and forth that develops over the years.
2: And with a divorce on top of that, too, that's just uh, it's got to be uh, for a 12 year old and a 14 year old, too. uh, That's it. tough time uh, it's a time of changes in your life and that kind of stuff and that instability i'm sure is not uh, helpful to this um so if we if we when and if we get more details of this of course uh, uh, this and all other stories that we cover we do ongoing updates on truecrimedaily.com and of course check our content out on facebook.com where you will find the true crime daily page um yeah. Uh, I, I'd like to know more information about that. It's a family that's well off and, and you know, there's no protection from any of this stuff. It's, some of mm-hmm. this is human nature. Um, our next case, we've got something out of Olympia, Washington. Susan Lundy He's a 58 year old. Uh, she's a manager at a local food bank garden and uh, she's a volunteer there. She reported she was reported on. July sixth as missing by family and friends, uh, friends who hadn't seen her in about a month. They described that as highly unusual, and they had finally reported her missing in July. Uh, those friends entered her house. They went. And they were. They. They went to investigate because they uh, hadn't heard stuff. And Olympia is sort of a smaller city in Washington. Uh, they went to her house. They entered her house through an unlocked window, and they had found that the electric and the water uh, had been turned off. In the house uh, called authorities police launched a missing persons investigation they searched the residents in the surrounding area including with canines so they were pretty serious about it uh, there was no phone financial or social media activity in weeks which is always a, a bad sign mm-hmm. uh, one of those three things is generally it's hard not to function these days with that uh, utilities had been officially turned off at her residence mm-hmm. uh, the baseball uh, excuse me the basement smelled strongly of bleach and a yard waste bin outside smelled of bleach. Also, there was a new padlock on the basement door. Mm. There are all sort of suspicious uh, clues happening here. Susan Lundy's uh, identification and credit cards were found in a trash can at a shopping center within days after this. Her daughter, uh, Amara Lundy, 23 years old, she told detectives that her mom had gone camping, mm. and so the daughter moved out and went to her dad's house. Uh, Monday this week, so that's uh, this was July 6th when she was reported missing. This week Amara Lundy's father Susan Lundy's uh, uh, apparently ex-husband or strange husband, she told police, uh, excuse me, the father went to police and said my daughter wants to provide a truthful statement. So Amara Lundy met with detectives this week and she said uh, she decided in May that she wanted to kill her mother, that Mm -hmm. she had grown tired of her mother She told police she brought uh, excuse me, she bought yellow cord and had strangled her mom to death. She told police she was surprised at how long it took and how much force she had to use in order to kill her mother. She says her mother begged her to stop, and then she says she put her mom in a yard waste bin in the basement. A week later, she decided she can't leave her mom there. She's been sitting there the entire time. She told police that she cut her mom into pieces in the basement using a large kitchen knife and a small saw. She then bagged the pieces and deposited them in trash bins with the help of her boyfriend and a shopping cart around the city and cleaned the basement with bleach. And she told police she tried to make it appear like her mom had left town. Then she took uh, police and she drove around town with them to show where she had disposed of these body parts. Uh, Amara Lundy appeared in court on Tuesday. She's being held without bail on first-degree murder. The Olympian newspaper says police have interviewed the boyfriend but have not arrested him. The investigation, however, remains ongoing. That seems surprising to me that they didn't. Uh, you know, if this boyfriend is helping out, maybe she didn't. Maybe he didn't know what it was. But that seems suspicious that we're going to go drive around depositing trash around. So this that case remains open. But uh, if we have a 23 year old woman living with her mother. Uh, I, I you know I get it. Nobody wants to live with their parents too long. I mean, some people do. Some people don't. Do. I, you don't want to go kill your mother, you mm-hmm. go do something else. Uh, I wonder whether do you have any thoughts on the psychology of that. Uh, have you dealt with cases like that before?
3: Well, it just seems ridiculous that she grew tired of her mom and decided to kill her mom. I mean, clearly more to the story than mm-hmm. she's letting on. And I think there's potentially other things here that haven't been spoken of. I mean, just the fact that she it's not really the most well thought out plan, right? Like the go buy a cord and just see how long it takes to strangle your mom. And whoa, it took a lot longer than I thought. I mean, I don't know how quickly she thought that would go. And then sort of, I'm going to just put my mom whole into a bin and just leave her there and see what happens. I mean, so all of this seems really reckless. And to me, it just makes me wonder if there was something else going on. You know, when we talk about some of these individuals who might think that this might be a good way to go, or, or this is how you might, might deal with a person. It's not, always about premeditation, I mean, to some degree, there might have been, but some of this could have just been in the moment, wanting to do this, and somebody who doesn't quite have all of her cognitive functions intact, you know, somebody who, for example, might have a thought disorder of some sort, somebody who just has disorganized thinking, so they can't carry this out, even in some kind of premeditated fashion, you know, sort of it's sort of like as she goes, she's sort of like flying by the seat of her pants and making things up. And then for whatever reason, at the end, she just decided that she wasn't going to keep this a secret anymore. But it is interesting about the mindset of the boyfriend, somebody who would say yes to helping do this very suspicious activity, whether or not he knew those were body parts.
2: Mm hmm. Uh, I'm also str- – you know, my first thought was uh, basically impulse control, but this mm-hmm. is not an impulse control issue because you had the foresight to go and buy, uh, you know, the cord and then you – so it seems definitely that there's lo- no prior thinking. Or, uh, if you're leaving a body in your basement or in a yard or, or whatever and just la, la, la. Uh, right. Obviously, that that's not an impulse control thing. That's just failure to – conceive of the future, uh, you know, form a coherent picture of what's going to happen. Uh, And then I hate to throw around words, but psychopathy seems a little bit the the fact that you can a week after you've allegedly killed your mother, you allegedly chop her up into bits using these things. This seems to me divorced from. Uh, uh, normal human thinking.
3: Right, absolutely. Like the fact that there's just absolutely no compassion there and that she could stomach it, right? Yeah. And sometimes we do think, and when we talk about psychopathy, there's been research studies that show that their brains are just less reactive than people without psychopathy mm-hmm. traits. So meaning that, you know, for most of us, you know, we eat a great meal and dopamine spiking all over the place. Our brains got tons of activity. And for individuals like this, whether good or bad, they don't have much of a reaction. And so... It's only those types of individuals, at least as the theory goes, that could carry out something like this and wouldn't have sort of like a shocked effect or like be traumatized themselves as a result of doing something like this.
2: It's kind of a dull and bland existence uh, on the on the regular spectrum of of daily interactions. So. Is this almost thrill-seeking behavior? I, I, not to say this particular case because that would right. be speculation, but right. in this, in these types of, uh, ty- this is looking for, uh, looking for something to spike the feels.
3: Right. It's sort of like the theory of thrill-seeking among some criminals that mm-hmm. this is why they've escalated to this point, and this is why they've committed serial murders. And I think that that's a theory that's thrown around a lot when we see somebody with repeated criminal history.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, as so we're gonna go down to South Carolina now, and this is. A very tragic story, but there might be a lot more to it. It it seems like it might not be a coincidence. This
2: is a crazy one.
1: We will see. Ashley Pangalangan, did I say that right? You did. All right. Ashley Pangalangan, 30 years old, was arrested outside of Walmart in Walterboro, South Carolina. About 50 miles west of Charleston on Monday. Now, at about 1.30 p.m., officers responded to a report of a child who was crying in the front seat were crying in the car, and uh, they found two kids in a car inside the parking lot. The car was running, but the A.C. wasn't working, and the windows were rolled up, and there was a baby, and now the baby was crying, and apparently the A.C. was broken, and the uh, air conditioner was blowing hot air onto the two kids in the car, and the driver's side window was broken and covered with a tape plastic sheet. Uh, it was a seven-year-old and a nine-month-old with 91 degrees outside. Apparently, the seven-year-old girl unlocked the door and told the officer his mom was inside shopping. Officers were out there for 15 minutes and then Ashley finally came out of the store. She told officers, I was only in there for five minutes. The kids were checked out by a doctor and they to be fine. Ashley was charged with unlawful conduct of a minor and spent the night in jail and the kids were placed in protective custody. Now, crisis averted, that's what we're thinking. But, One week earlier, on Monday, August 5th, Ashley Pangalangan's 49-year-old mother, Rita, was arrested and charged with murder. Rita's 13-year-old daughter died in a hot car north of Columbia, South Carolina, about 90 miles away. The 13-year-old, who was Ashley's sister, had a disability. Rita's boyfriend, who was named Larry King, no relation, was also arrested and charged. And the hot car death happened outside a house. Just before 5 p.m. Uh, on Monday, the house reportedly, the boyfriend, Rita, was visiting. Police say the girl was left unattended in the car for five hours. WCFC mm-hmm. so reports that Rita put the girl in the vehicle at 11 a.m. that day. She said she checked on um, on her at 12.15. Again, at three, found doors locked. Rita and the boyfriend left the house to get spare keys from another location. They returned at 4.15, and the girl was dead. First responders arrived at 4.52 p.m. Now, Rita Tangalangit works as an early childhood education teacher for the Colatan County School District, but she's now on uh, administrative leave. She was actually named Teacher of the Year in 2014. Now, Rita was arrested in January for allegedly stuffing candy bars into the gas tank of her boss off her boyfriend's truck, WCFC reports. So, Judy, we need something here. We need we need your expertise because how could a tragedy happen in a family and then a week later, the same thing almost happened and just get averted because somebody did the right thing and called the police and got the police over to open up the car?
3: Right. I mean, it's awful, but it's sort of like, did they think about this together? Did they discuss it at some point? Was there some kind of replication? And clearly the fact that this happened with the mom a week earlier and then ashley then appears to be carrying out the same exact crime on her own children a week later
2: what's what's the, i mean we see that sometimes that people are sort of unconsciously mirroring what their what their parents have sort of taught them but this is bizarre i right. mean also In 2019, if you're still leaving your kids in the car while you run into the store, you know, I mean, my goodness, how many stories do we hear about children just barely surviving or worse, dying from these things? Uh, Particularly, you know, South Carolina in the summer. I haven't been to South Carolina in decades, but boy, I still have the sense memory of how hot it was there. Uh, You put your daughter in a car. You leave her there for an hour before you go check on her. Then you leave her there for another three hours to go check on her. And then you find out that you've locked uh, your keys in the car. Then we leave for another hour to go get spare keys to come back. And, I mean, it boggles the mind on top of that, the fact that this woman was the teacher of the year and is an early childhood teacher and that kind of thing. It's not for lack of empathy I would think you. I mean, it's speculation, but uh,
3: right.
2: you're a teacher and you're an educator, and obviously, you care about your job.
3: Right.
2: I, I, I struggle to think how, how this all this all came off. But then on on, on top of that, how the daughter, was basically it's her sister that uh, that died in this yes. in, in this car a week earlier. Right. I would think that you'd still be traumatized and still be you know uh, dealing with the the loss of a family member. Right. It's my opinion, obviously. I mean, um you wouldn't
3: try to do the same thing to your kids. And I, and that's why it's sort of like, yes, maybe you. the more innocent explanation would be, okay, you learned something from your mom. Maybe when you grew up, you were left in the car a couple of times by your mom, sure. but maybe nothing bad happened to you and you just thought this is kind of a normal thing to do when you got to do errands and you don't want your kids to be nagging at you while you're working on that. But when something like this happens and when you kind of look at the activity and like you said, oh, when this is, this is the mother, it was the teacher of the year. I mean, she should know better than to... You know, but at this point, the daughter's been in the car for five-plus hours. Let's go and uh, slowly go get a spare key. I mean, this is a time where you call 911, you call a locksmith, like you get somebody there yeah. in 10, break open the window and get in, I, right?
2: I, 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 it also brings to mind, and I— an, an, wouldn't want to surmise this about this particular case, but I have right. heard and read about things where um, when you especially you've got a 13 year old daughter here who's got special needs or has a, has a disability, you do sort of hear about a little bit of a dissociation yeah. uh, with some per- parents that it's almost like a chore um, that you, you start to think more of it objectifying rather than this is that. and so. There maybe that's a little bit of an insight into how this was happening. That she didn't mean any malice there, but it's sort of, you know, after 13 years of of dealing with a. a, a a special needs child who may or may not have extra high maintenance and that kind of thing that, uh, um, you know, I was, I just heard a thing a week ago too about some parents that have left their kids in hot cars that they swear that the kid was not in the back, uh, when they left and because they're going through their muscle memory or their, their, motor memory of going to work and whatever else. So they're talking about, you know, put your, your phone or put your purse into the car seat so that you can't get out of the car. And because, you just may uh, psychologically block that out on top yeah. of which, if you've got uh, a high-maintenance uh, child like this, uh, again, it's it's pure speculation. We do also have to say that, like, she, in January, she was arrested for stuffing candy bars into this man, the same man's uh, truck in the gas tank. So, who knows? Mm-hmm. It seems like there are some bad decisions here and, and maybe a little impulse control going on there as well. But uh, it really struck me, the fact that, uh, you know, you hear a lot of, hot car deaths and hot yeah. car things like this, but how this could happen to one family like this uh, in, in yeah. twice in a row like that, it's just a, it's it's an awful tragedy. Right. We're going to stay in South Carolina for this one. Last week, uh, let's see here, actually in July. So Georgia Southern University's starting quarterback, Shia Wirtz, was pulled over for speeding in Saluda County, South Carolina, just outside of Columbia on July 31st. He was driving back to school after visiting family. Uh, driving back to school at uh, Georgia Southern. Uh, Police body camera and dashboard camera footage detailed this traffic stop that occurred in rural South Carolina. He was pulled over for speeding. Officers searched the interior of Wirtz's 2016 Dodge Charger and the trunk and found nothing but athletic gear. An officer asks Wirtz what's on the hood of his car. Reportedly, there was a white caked-on, powdery substance on the hood and lining the windshield, partially wet in some spots. WTOC-TV reports that it was covering about one-third of the hood of the car. It's a big, big surface area there. Wurtz tells officers it's obviously bird poop. He said he had, he had tried to wash it off the windshield earlier. Uh, the officer disagrees. They go back and forth. They're arguing about what the substance is. One of the officers says he's going to test the substance on this hood. He, ta- uh, he takes a test kit, uh, he puts some of the stuff in there, he shakes the test kit, and the solution reportedly turns pink, indicating a positive result for cocaine. Officer calls the supervisor, says, quotes, He said he tried to wipe it up last night, but I think he might have had something going on last night or wherever he's from. Deal gone wrong or hell, he might not even know about it, as the cop says. The officer reads uh, his Miranda rights before he arrests Shia Wirtz. Quotes, I have no reason to lie about cocaine. I play football, so I don't do cocaine, he told officers. Saluda County Sheriff's Office says the false positives are rare, but they do occur. The arresting officer had a canine dog in his vehicle, but he did not have the dog in his car, Quotes, they didn't have any other reason to pull out a canine out. And due to all the recent fentanyl problems, we don't just throw, out a can- throw our canines in those type of environments not knowing what the substance is, a sheriff's spokesman said. Uh, we have had reports in the past where a dog died this summer when uh, it reportedly sniffed some fentanyl at a crime mm-hmm. scene and uh, killed it. So it uh, seems to be referring to that. Prosecutors have dropped the charge of possession of cocaine uh, last Friday. Wurtz is still on the hook for the speeding ticket. Obviously, it was bird poop. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports that the officer pulling Wurtz over was angry because Wurtz did not immediately pull over on this rural road that he was on. He saw the flashing lights of the patrol car. He turned his own hazard lights on and called 911 to tell police he was looking for a safe and well-lighted place to pull over. He said his mom had previously instructed him to do so. Wurtz is briefly suspended from the football team, but he has since been reinstated, and he'll start again. In Against Louisiana State in two weeks. Mm. Psychology of wanting to find something when uh, it's not there—that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, you're you're predisposed to think of a thing. Yeah. You don't want to cast any aspersions there, but uh, right seemed like a a stretch for bit of a, stretch. a lot of a lot of reasons.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little bit like a witch hunt. Slightly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I yeah. have to wonder what the the cop imagined was happening on the hood of this car or or, or, or who right. knows what but uh, whether he was intentionally trying to make trouble here or whether he sincerely believed it or whether you know he was just doing his job and he was a gullible fellow who knows uh, mm. all's well that ends well except for that speeding ticket of course uh and finally let's head out to new mexico Las Cruces, New Mexico. Police upgraded charges against a 39 year old man this week. Uh, he had been arrested for domestic violence in June. Police responded to an incident at Aaron Spaulding's home and arrested him for battery against a household member and false imprisonment of his girlfriend. They also charged him with two counts of misdemeanor animal cruelty. He was suspected of neglecting the dog and abusing the cat in the house. On Tuesday, they upgraded the misdemeanor animal cruelty char- counts to felonies. Tuesday, prosecutors said the cat had been tested after a veterinarian found signs of neurological deficits in the cat. I don't know how you test that for the cat. Uh, However, they reported that. So they tested the cat. They found methamphetamine in the cat's blood. There's neurological deficits indeed. Mm. They said uh, Aaron Spaulding had force fed the cat meth. Cat has since been treated and adopted into another home. We have covered other animals on meth stories here before, including an Alabama man who police accused of keeping a meth-fueled attack squirrel. A Tennessee police department uh, earlier this summer warned the community after a drug raid. it said, don't flush drugs down toilets because it could create meth-gators, alligators on methamphetamine, in water treatment ponds. That department later clarified it was exaggerating for effect, but this particular one is real. This man did, uh, or allegedly fed this cat, methamphetamine, and the proof was in the blood. I don't know why you would do that, but uh, it's never a good sign when you're abusing animals or nope. your girlfriend or any of those things. Indicates some profound uh, problems, I would imagine.
3: Absolutely. I mean, clearly a cruel experiment that he decided to do on his cat just for this hell of it. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't really seem like there's any purpose. I mean, what's the point? You're trying to get your cat to be high with you. I mean, I don't, I don't understand that.
2: I, I don't get it either. And, and you know, if the guy was, uh, if the guy was younger, I would worry about this escalation. As we said, uh, yeah. animal abuse is one of those indicators that uh, you've got some severe, uh, potential problems there, but uh, sure. this is a grown ass man. He shouldn't right. be doing that stuff. But, uh, anyway, no. he's been, he's been, uh, uh, subsequently charged for this. We'll tell you more when we know more. Billy, Tell us about uh, some comments we have on Facebook this week.
1: We get comments. True Crime Daily has the largest uh, Facebook crime page in the world. It's true. There have been a lot of pet crimes, uh, unfortunately, and it was tough to choose. But I'm going to go. There was a lot of discussion around police identified girl and video of dog tumbled inside clothes dryer. The mm-hmm. video showed the dryer operating for several seconds as a shih tzu tumbles and thumps inside. The girl clapping and screaming in apparent excitement when she opens the door. The dog struggles to get to its feet and runs into this next room. And uh, this has been um, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of people very upset. Somebody said I was reading that the girl was a teenager and went on Instagram talking to friends and called the animal and said I'm going to put his ass back in the dryer. Um, let's see. Susie G said, please, please tell me they took the dog from her and imposed some kind of punishment from her. I don't care if she is young. She needs to be held accountable. Uh, Betty C said, let me tell you this. I have a future while I was doing laundry and I had a pair of shoes. I was drying Well, the door came open and I shut it before I went to bed. I always count the dogs while one was missing. We found her in the dryer. It was still going. We called the vet. Her nipples were blistery. And the vet told her to soak her feet in alcohol. She ended up being fine, but it was scary as hell. Wow, Betty C, way to make it all about yourself. But um,
2: <laughs> well, sometimes it ends well. There's an animal. Yeah,
1: and and um, you know, everybody, nobody obviously was defending this person, but uh, you know, we often hear about the the triad for serial killers, which is cruelty to animals, uh, setting fires, and bedwetting uh, as as a child. Um, you know, one of the things about this is that people have been doing this for years, but we're just filming it now. Mm. You know, mm. and uh, kids have been horrible to pets for years, but kids are just been trained for the last twenty years is, to chronicle everything in their life and put it on on the web. That's why we're seeing something. And like plus, there. you're
2: hearing about it more with the you know ten thousand outlets uh, uh, of this information. What what uh, we also find a lot of is that people. Um, Respond really overwhelmingly to animal stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we care about true crime stories and people being murdered and things like that, but, uh, you know, if we have five stories and four of them are about, uh, you know, somebody being murdered or whatever, uh, or I should say whatever, it, these awful crime stories, but then the, the fifth one is about a dog being mistreated or a cat being mistreated. It's almost, yeah. uh, it's it's crazy how much um, extra attention that will get, and I don't think it's a lack of empathy on people's parts. There's just something about uh, preying on a defenseless animal right. or small children, that kind of exactly. thing, it, it, it gets uh, gets people's hackles up pretty good.
3: Yeah, I agree. It's sort of like, you know, um, unsuspecting animal, unsuspecting child. I think that there's definitely that link there where these people or these animals are much more vulnerable than the average yeah. adult. And yeah. somebody who would go to those extremes is a real sick person, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, the, you know, it brings out the protective instinct in most of us. Yes. Uh, well, so, Bill... Please enjoy the uh, your 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 extended book tour, and uh, we will My put your, book
1: your, tour, yes. your your I link. I will be in I will be in Portland for another like five hours, and then I go to Milwaukee and then Chicago. Your home state, your hometown.
2: That's you. right, the uh, Chicagoland area. Shout out, Chicagoland uh, area. Uh, yes. This is uh, there's no rest for the wicked. Um, it really is. So. We've got to check out our content. Well, first of all, I want to say that uh, Bill will put uh, – we'll keep in a link in our YouTube comments for your book as well. Dr. Judy, I'd like to – Thank you for uh, being our guest today, Dr. Judy Ho. The, the book is called Stop Self-Sabotage, Six Steps to Unlock Your True Motivation, Harness Your Willpower, and Get Out of Your Own Way. Uh, it launches Tuesday?
3: Yeah, Tuesday. August 20th. Gotcha. And we'll have a link in there for that, Thank of you. course.
2: Also, check out our content on uh, YouTube and Facebook and TrueCrimeDaily.com. Don't forget to download our weekly podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. If you have comments or questions about the show, call us up. Leave a message at 888-548-9758. That's 888-548-9758. We'd love to hear from you. Be advised, your recording recording be aired in any of our future podcasts. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, Billy.
1: Don't do crime.